So we should do an intro then. Saddest school disco in history. Hello, I'm Natasha, um, and I'm going to be speaking to Vincent today on the Saddest School Disco in History, which is our podcast about. Uh, mental health representations in film. I live in the UK and I work as a psychotherapist here and have done for the last decade or so I guess on and off. And hello as Natasha said my name is Vincent. I live in Bergen in Norway and um, I am studying to be a psychologist. I'm nearly finished with my training Um, and uh, I'd like to say before we get started that it's been uh, a long time maybe six to eight weeks since we last did one of these podcasts. I think um, you're right. And uh, that's mostly because um, we've both been extremely busy with other things in our lives. Uh, we're going to endeavour to make them a bit more regular. Um, so hoping to have another one out after this in uh, two to three weeks from now, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to be looking at 13 Reasons Why, the Netflix TV series. So if you want to see that in between, then you've got a little bit of time to watch it. Yes. So the film we um, have picked to watch in Bergen and the uh, Litchfield, which is where I live in the UK, um, and discuss today is Falling Down, which was made in 1993. Indeed, and the director of this film was Joel Schumacher, who is mostly famous for making a variety of thrillers, including um, Phone Booth, for example. Uh, although I think he's got some more famous ones than that. That's the first one that comes to mind. Uh, but uh, he made Lost Boys. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's a Joel Schumacher film. He made Lost Boys? Yeah. Well, now I love him. Early on. So... The star of this film is Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, supporting actors are Robert Duvall and Barbara Hershey. I think mm-hmm. I've seen Robert Duvall, Duvall in things before, but he's not especially famous, I don't think. I think Michael Douglas no, is really... Well. Is he? Yeah, Robert Duvall's quite well known. Okay, what have you seen him in? It's a good question, and now I can't answer that question, but I know his name and I know his face, so he's been in stuff. Okay, well, yeah. I, I think... It's fair to say that Michael Douglas is the main star, like, power in the movie. Um, Agreed. And uh, the writer of the film was Ebbe Rowe Smith. Worth saying that if you haven't seen it, uh, we're going to talk about it in depth. So there might be some spoilers coming up. There will be some spoilers coming up. Um, So you might want to stop this and watch it in between if you're very concerned about spoilers. Um, The movie basically is about a guy who, on a very hot day, uh, leaves his car, which is stuck in traffic, um, and goes on a rampage through Los Angeles, um, whilst simultaneously wisecracking about the flaws that he sees in society. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say. 
yeah, he does he does this thing where he leaves his car. Um, but he says he's travelling home. That's right, yeah. He says the whole through the whole film that he's going home. For his daughter's birthday. But as the movie goes on, um, it becomes clear that He's separated from his ex-wife. He probably hasn't seen his daughter for a long time. Uh, mm. In fact, I think his wife's got a restraining order against him. Um, yes, I was going to add that. Yeah, and uh, nobody actually wants him to go home apart from him. Um, and he's also dressed as if he's going to work, and he's in traffic as if he's going to work in the morning. He's got a briefcase with him, but um, it transpires much later in the film that, in fact, he has no job he's lost his job some uh months earlier i think and he's been going somewhere every day with his lunch um but nobody knows where that's right and actually that he is living with his mother because he's separated from his wife um yeah so it a lot of the premises that he sets up at the beginning of the film yeah transpire not to be true as the film goes on that's right um so we haven't talked about this movie really, apart from before we saw it, we both said that we'd seen it some time ago and we both liked it. Um, yes. I mean, it's it must have been over 15 years since I'd originally seen it. And I think I'd seen it t- shortly after it came out. I saw it again in the early 2000s. Um, and then I saw it again now and I felt kind of... I don't know if I was conflicted about it before, but I was certainly conflicted about it now. Um yes. And I think it kind of maybe has aged poorly in as much as the way politics have gone um, Mm -hmm. in America in recent years makes this film possibly more, even more uncomfortable to watch than it already would have been in the first place. Mm. Although it is quite an uncomfortable, I mean, it's intended to be quite uncomfortable and quite tense, I think. Um, Yeah, and it it certainly... um does that it is tense throughout you know even even this much time later um and I I similarly to you hadn't watched it for some time I definitely had seen it more recently than you had um but I felt that tension all the way through to the end even though I knew I'd seen it before and it and it has aged somewhat badly I would say um but yeah that tension holds throughout which is you know a really impressive skill I think in a film I mean, there's two, kind of two sort of central uh, kind of techniques that the film uses, and one is like like we're saying is this building building tension, and the other one is the classic kind of um, uh, action film device, which is that uh, every kind of encounter that the main character has um, is a sort of escalation on the last one, and mm. like a computer game he kind of gets a new weapon each time so that he's like without a weapon at the start, then he gets a baseball bat, then he's got a shotgun. By the end of the film, he's carrying like a rocket launcher. Um, That's so true. And so it's like everything is kind of builds and builds and escalates as the film goes on and as as the day goes on and as the character becomes kind of more and more sort of um, desperate, I guess. Yeah. That's really interesting that you described it that way, like a video game. I had never caught that but now that you mention it it's really obvious that that's what happens he gets like these magical weapons as he goes along things that aren't at all possible in real life to have got hold of no that's right and it's like 
uh, you know, like Grand Theft Auto, you know, it's like you meet some gangsters, yeah. you meet some gangsters, and then like you come away from that situation carrying a shotgun, like that's or not I, just a shotgun, a bag of no. guns. Yeah, a holdel, a yeah. holdel of guns, yeah. exactly like a video game. That is such a such a good point. I mean, when I was watching this film, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if we maybe. Uh, made a poor choice in choosing this film because you know we were really like oh we got to do another episode soon and we both kind of had stuff to say about this movie and then when I Mm -hmm. started watching it for reasons we can discuss I was sort of Mm -hmm. unsure if this really was uh, relevant to our themes but but what I do think is um, positive about having done this film is that we haven't done anything that kind of up until now that sort of um, is in the kind of mainstream action type genre so this is a whole different type of film than anything that we've seen earlier. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a it's like a popcorn watching film, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's a multi popcorn a multi, watching, popcorn eating. It's a multiplex film. Yeah, um, it is for yeah. sure. I had exactly the same thing as you though. As I started watching, it, I was like, "Oh, have we picked a film that actually fits the theme of discussing mental health representations in film?" Um, and then I thought, even that is an interesting talking point, I think. Um, yeah. so... Why don't you start off, uh, start, open that up for us? Okay. So, obviously, as we've said, um, the entire premise of the podcast is to talk about mental, mental health representations in film and what, how we see those and what that might mean. Um, and in my memory, this film was about a man that has um, a stress stress overload that leads to kind of an emotional meltdown that then leads to particular behaviours. However, as soon as we start, well, as soon as I started watching it um, this time round, I became really aware that it didn't necessarily feel like I was watching a mental health issue. Um, And as the film went on, I think that issue got more complex for me. I was trying to I was trying to figure out actually what am I looking at. So there are periods in this when film you say where, what, am, what am I looking at, you mean basically why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? What is driving this behaviour? Um, because there there are elements of um, his behaviour that sit. I so okay. So to kind of be clearer about it, um, there's a scene right at the beginning where he uh, has already got out of the car. He goes into a shop. Um, and wants to buy a drink. Yeah. Well, and he wants to use the phone. That's right. And he wants change. And the guy won't give him change, so then he tries to buy a drink to get the change, and then the drink is too expensive, so, yeah. that, so that he wouldn't even be able to get the change for the phone. Okay, exactly. And the man in the shop shows very little empathy or community spirit around this. He's not bothered. He's like, this is my shop, buy a drink. Um, and he's from an eth- he's from a minority ethnic background, He's supposed I, to be Korean, although yeah. he doesn't appear to be Korean to me. But I, I mean, he might be the actor. Might, okay. The actor may be Korean, but anyway, the, the yeah. character is certainly supposed to be Korean. And it leads to this uh, very tense scene where the main character, played by Michael Douglas, um, starts talking about how this is his country, and uh, the prices are unfair. And the the premise of not allowing someone to have change to use a phone is unfair, and it really builds. And I think when I saw this as a as a child, I think I would have been at the time when I saw this last, um, an adolescent. I didn't necessarily pick up how un- how 
racially charged that scene would feel. But when I watched it this time, I really caught that and I felt very uncomfortable. Um, it might be re- it might be relevant just to mention because our listeners probably don't know this that you come from an ethnic minority background. I do. Um, they wouldn't know that at all. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm a bit surprised that you didn't pick up on that the first time you saw it because I mm. actually remember doing some mental gymnastics as a kid when I was still thinking this guy's supposed to be the hero of the film mm-hmm. trying to think can can I accept that he's saying that stuff like mm-hmm. you know you come over here you don't even learn our language like mm-hmm. all of that type of thing so I rem- I actually remembered that as soon as I saw it like being uncomfortable with it when I saw mm. it the, f- the first time but yeah sorry <laughs> So I think, so um, just for our listeners then, I um, am British Sri Lankan, so um, my heritage is Sri Lankan, but I grew up in Britain and that's how I define myself, but um, uh, I grew up in London and I think perhaps when I think back of my experience, which is a little off topic but perhaps relates to why I saw it this way in the film, um, is that there was a whilst I was growing up, one of our you know survival tactic was assimilation really to place yourself within your majority setting, and it, for me that would have been um, English and white, and to kind of not uh, to as much as possible assimilate so that you don't see some of the challenges of being an ethnic minority in a um, in a space where you are clearly perceived to be an ethnic minority. Um, so I think perhaps I might have minimised it. Like you, I can imagine like that I would have. sort of wouldn't necessarily have related to it. That I would have maybe seen it, but very quickly put it away. Right, um, yeah. <clears throat> To avoid my personal discomfort, because my personal discomfort would have related to my discomfort in my life at that time. Yeah. So I think I would have minimised that. Yeah. But as an adult, I definitely didn't do that. Um, and felt much more much more keenly aware of the exactly what you said having to having to make these leaps in my mind about this is our protagonist I think I'm supposed to be supporting him but I already dislike him a lot right um because of the things that he's saying but it also uh made me wonder oh what is this film about because I thought I was looking at someone who had had a stress you know, a, an abundance of stress that has been so acute that he's kind of had this emotional breakdown. Mm. But actually, I feel like I'm looking at a character who is um, an agitated person, maybe more generally in their life. And then what does that mean? Am I even looking at a mental health representation here? And I suppose I I questioned that throughout the film as things progressed. Mm. Yeah. What did you make of that first scene? I think, actually, when I when you see it in the context of the whole film and you see it from today's political uh, sort of environment, mm. it does frame quite clearly what kind of guy this is. Mm. Because he's... He's... Uh, for, in, in addition to all the evident like emotional problems that he has, um, he's kind of... What he worked for the defense department as some kind of engineer or something he feels that he's given his uh, whole life to this country and then he's just Mm -hmm. been forgotten and thrown on the trash heap with Mm -hmm. kind of redundancy Um, he is in addition to saying these things about um, 
immigration at the start. Later, he's saying some really uh, what people today would say problematic things about about um, gender relations on the phone to his wife when he's ringing her up and threatening her. Yeah. So so he is like this. He represents a quite reactionary type of angry white guy, um, definitely. But is that to say that he? doesn't have serious kind of psychological issues not really not necessarily but it's this was interesting to me because I came to it from a little bit of a different perspective which was that I worked quite a long time um, as an assistant in uh, high security psychiatry Mm -hmm. and where people are often being assessed to see okay these crimes that you committed for example a murder or whatever were Mm -hmm. they the results of a serious mental illness or can you should you be sent to prison and i would say that the main character in falling down who does have a name but in all of the credits and everything he's called defense which is his um, license plate on his on his car this character i think would without doubt be held accountable for all of the things that he does in the course of the film He's not psychotic. He's not kind of. No. He's not. He's not out of control in that sense, right? No. So he. No, he becomes unboundaried. I think that that's how I saw it. Yeah, and it reminds me a, a bit. Although, it reminds me a bit of Taxi Driver, which is a film that I hope we can discuss at some point. Um, mm. Although the character in Taxi Driver is clearly a kind of more uh, troubled individual from the off. Yeah. Um, and and a bit more kind of he has kind of poor social cognition and whatever has problems dealing with people and whereas this guy seems like he's kind of gone under the radar for a long time but it reminds me like of that of that thing in taxi driver where he's saying like this is a man who like what does he say he's like this is a man who refused to lie down um, this is a man who, and it's a bit like that kind of thing of like, yeah. he's got to a point where he's like, okay, everything is going against me. My wife won't see me. I have no access to my children. I've got no mm-hmm. job. Uh, everywhere I look, there is something that irritates me. Like I'm going to do something about it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, at the same time, as like you say, his only stated goal is to get home. But what's really interesting is that right at the end of the film where he's uh, intercepted by Robert Duvall's police officer, Robert Duvall says to him, you know what you were going to do. You were going to get here. You were going to kill your wife and child. And then you were going to kill yourself. Because that's what you guys always do. Mm. Um, so it's like... It reminds me of a lot of these kind of spree killer people. You know, there was a guy in the north of England a few years back who went on a rampage, shot a load of people, and then kind of uh, um, barricaded himself in his house and I think ended up killing himself. It's like... there's It's like a... It's like a certain pattern, a certain type of uh, um, guy, and it's like, okay, he's not—he's not psychotic. He's not kind of lost his mind, so to say. But like, how could this have been prevented? Like, what kind of help does this guy need? <clears throat> yeah. And absolutely, like, the only thing you can think of, in my opinion, is that like he clearly needs some counselling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a lot it's, of it as well. I know, but it's interesting though, isn't it? Because um, yeah, I came to the, so yeah, I, I came to this feeling that actually he's unboundaried as a person. He's become unboundaried um, in that 
he, like you said, he's reactionary to the things that have, are, are life stresses for him. Um, and he's now decided, I refuse to lie down. I, I will take action. I will do what I want to do. Um, but two things that really stood out to me um, as the film progressed were that, um, first of all, perhaps he's never been fully boundaried because there is... Um, you keep saying this word boundaried, and it's not a word that yeah. I use. So, so okay. what do you mean? Explain it. Um, when I say boundaried, I suppose what I mean is he. Um, throughout the film, you see him refuse to um, work to the social norms, right? Okay. Um, at the societal norms, relationship norms that keep a place ticking. Right. So he goes into the convenience store. The guy won't give him money, and he thinks, "Okay." I that's it then. Right, I'm gonna okay. his, I'm gonna yeah, destroy okay. your store. I understand. So his reaction to that situation is not constrained by like social expectations or social norms. Yeah, yeah, and relation relational norms which we all hold to, even though many of us are irritated by similar things. Yeah. So you might, I might go into a shop and say, "Can I have change?" And I know they've got change in the till, but they say no, and I'm irritated by that. But then I'm going to walk out of that store and look for a different shop. And, um, and I know that you're in the middle of saying something, but while we're on exactly this topic, mm-hmm. um, I did think to myself, a lot of my life, and I'm probably not like this anymore, but a lot of my life, I would have been extremely angry in some of those situations, like particularly the yeah. one in the in the burger place. Yeah, yeah. And I would have been probably what you would call in unboundaried about unboundaried. it. Unboundaried. Yeah, although not to the extent that this character is, but I could have like screamed at somebody... Like yeah. done some, you know, some quite uh, noticeable shit, and and uh, <laughs> and I would have had fantasies of smashing the place up as well, like very vivid. And I think a lot of people have this, like, yeah, oh fuck, I want to just go out and get in my car and drive my car into the doors, like type of yeah. kind of thoughts, right? But yeah. what you're saying is that here's a guy who then acts a lot of this out, right? Yes. Mm. However. This idea that he only becomes unboundaried in the uh, in the moments of the film. So from beginning to end, we see this become an unboundaried setting for him, mm. where he just goes wild and actually acts out all those fantasies that we all have at times. Yeah. Um, actually, the, some of some of the nuances of the film suggest that he was already behaving in those ways. So, um, and I know we'll, we'll get onto kind of gender later, perhaps, but as a touch in around this unboundaried issue is that his his wife has already left him and she's and scared has a, of him and is scared and has a restraining order on him mm. and doesn't want him to be w- around his daughter mm. something there has created that feeling and there's a scene where two police officers Robert Duval and um the female police officer whose name I can't remember yeah. I'm afraid mm-hmm. um go to his go to defenses mother's house mm. and she is also frightened of him yeah um she in fact i think it's a really poignant um scene and i really like the script in the scene she acts it really well where she explains when they sit at a dinner table together he frightens her and he eats his food like a robot mouthful after mouthful while she holds one mouthful in her in her mouth and then gets so frightened she spits it onto her plate I I can I I think as well another scene because for me that scene 
which is, comes a bit earlier in the film, was like, oh, okay, you see that he's been going this way. Like, probably since yeah. he lost his job, he's been getting more mm. and more intense and kind of maybe... Um, but then there's also a scene later in the film which... And there are lots of things about this film that I think are not nuanced and that are really quite kind of worrying. But what I mm-hmm. thought was a great scene, actually, was when Defense finally gets home and in order to kind of be nostalgic and whatever, he mm. tries to watch a family video. That's right. And then in and then his behaviour in the film is like he tries to kind of you see on his face brilliant acting from um, mm. from Michael Douglas. You see on his face that it kind of pains him to see, and then he tries to ignore it. That his behaviour in the video is towards his child is terrible. Like yeah. he and and it's mostly around that he can't empathise with his kid. So like mm-hmm. he just wants to get this shot on the film of like the kid sitting on a on a kind of donkey or something like sitting in a car mm. or something and the kid is um, really rocking horse that he's it. bought her. That's it. Yeah, that's it's like a birthday present like something a mm-hmm. rocking horse and the kid is really distressed and he's just more and, and screaming. more like make like get out of sit on the thing like just trying to get the shot and then there's another scene afterwards where he's kind of like verbally abusing and almost kind of gaslighting his his wife um mm-hmm. where they've gone out to the pier and she's really upset and he's like this is your favorite place what's the matter with you and it's kind of yeah. it's very so then i was like this guy has what we might think of as kind of pathological personality characteristics yeah that he probably never really has been able to empathize with other people and he can't see himself in these situations and the way he's behaving he just gets kind of caught up in in like what he wants to see happen and 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 yeah basically abuses and scares other people um Mm. though he's never acted out violently prior to now or at least not towards his wife um she says that he doesn't actually beat her and this is a problem for the police who are like don't then don't take it seriously yeah so so he's clearly been a person who has um you know, personality psychology is a complex, uh, complex field, and I'm not going to pretend to um, to be an expert. But he evidently has real problems with empathy, uh, mm-hmm. with taking other people's perspective, um, and like you're saying, kind of with respect, kind of maybe respecting relational boundaries. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, it's you see that that actually, yeah. These these premises have been in place. Um, earlier than we've seen um, and they give these little they give you these little moments don't they where you get to uh, hear about that or see it and I think that kind of is interesting in relation to your question about how you feel about the convenience store scene at the start because mm. they kind of set this film up that you're supposed to sympathise with him like yeah. a lot of the things he encounters are genuinely irritating and, yeah. and there's sort of a like a kind of you could kind of start to get the sense of oh man if people would just stop being so unpleasant to this guy and just let him get home yeah. he wouldn't be doing all of this crazy shit like you know mm-hmm. and there is a sort of kind of social critique running through the film of like capitalism and a careless society and people mm-hmm. who you know um but none of that's really true do you know what i mean because he uh obviously has been this way for a long time and he's, yeah. as you pointed out, he's on his way to a family who really are scared of him. Yeah. Um, and and 
For what purpose? Possibly to kill his ex-wife. So it's like, uh, it kind of, I think it's quite clever the way the film sort of undermines your um, sympathy or empathy for the character. Mm. Um, I think they do that really well because I, th- I think, it like, as with all films, you assume that the main character is the one that you're caring about and... Um, you know, rooting for you, you're supposed to cheerlead him, and very quickly you realize, oh, I can't cheerlead that behavior. I'm not comfortable with that. At least from my perspective and yours, you know, there probably are people who watch this film and are like, that guy's right on. Yeah, <laughs> that guy's doing all the right that stuff. I was thinking about which as well, which is that maybe for a kind of maybe for filmmakers or for critics in the '90s, like a lot of the things that uh, defense is saying and doing. Um, like the racist thing at the start and uh, the way that he speaks to his wife and the way that he behaves towards his wife uh, is enough to kind of undermine him as a character. Um, But I think in the context of today where you've got this kind of resurgence in like really populist right-wing discourse, you think about Mm. how Trump talks about minorities, if you think about how Trump talks about women, if you think about all of the things that people write in comments threads and forums on the internet that uh, there might be actually a large number of people who sympathize from start to finish with defense um, who really would see him as a kind of hero and I'm not saying that the film is responsible for that but I certainly I think it's difficult for us to see this film that way Mm -hmm. but I don't think it would be difficult for other people to see it this way necessarily Uh, yeah I agree and I also think that the film I think the film does actively promote that. I I think they actively promote that there are multiple lenses to see this character through. Mm. Um, Because there are points in it where, um, as someone who works with people who struggle um, with mental health issues or problems, um, as you know, someone who works with people who are sometimes isolated or um, fractured in their relationships, there are points in this film where you empathize with him you feel sorry for his situation he is lonely he's isolated um there are times where he seems defenseless and then they quickly will spin that so an example of that is there's a scene where he's sitting on some steps trying to uh, fix his shoe Mm. and it's really really hot um and he's got this can of coke that he's just taken from the convenience store um and he's approached by two um youths young men who um are telling him he can't be there and he looks so tired um and he he's like I'm just sitting here and there's a moment there where you think oh he's so defenseless he just wants a moment he's just trying to gather himself um and and he it's like he's being attacked and then suddenly it turns and he's the attacker and he's frightening people away and I can see why people would see him as a hero for that but I think um yeah, there are just moments in the film sometimes where I think you can switch. You can switch between this This is a really vile character that's doing some really unpleasant stuff that is totally unacceptable, but there are also moments where you catch his human quality and you can really feel sorry for him. That's how I felt anyway. And I think that there's a, there's a kind of really ambiguous sequence uh, which is where he goes into to he kind of goes to hide in the army surplus place or maybe he goes yes. in there, maybe he goes in there to get boots actually originally but he ends up hiding mm-hmm. um, and it becomes clear that the guy who runs the shop 
is a Nazi, a full-on yeah. proper Nazi, and yeah. has heard about defense on his police scanner that he listens to, um, mm-hmm. and thinks he's a hero. You know, he's saying to him, you know, you're a vigilante, you're we're the same, you're out there kind of sticking it to these ethnic minorities. Although obviously he doesn't use that type of language, and no. um, and it gives defense the opportunity to sort of distance himself from that kind of radical far right um, type of position and he says like we are not the same yeah I'm an American you're a sick asshole Um, yeah because the guy says to him you're a vigilante and he says I'm not a vigilante I'm an American yeah yeah and it's like uh, that's really complex because in one way if you just take that at face value and you um kind of at which a sort of unsophisticated reading of the film kind of asks you to take that quite at face value it's like yeah. okay defense is not some rabid right-wing mm-hmm. uh kind of like murderous asshole he's mm-hmm. not a fascist this guy this is what a fascist looks like yeah you know defense is really he's like a normal mainstream american and mm. but obviously that's how defense sees it we can read it another way where it's like the what separates these guys really is that one of them is kind of just more ideological more bigoted yeah. more obsessed with these things whereas mm. all of defense is kind of um uh sort of prejudices and kind of reactionary tendencies are sort of unexamined so mm. it's like, but his behaviour actually is probably worse than the guy in the shop. Yeah, and so, there's some, there, he, he displays what I, you know, find really uncomfortable, which is um, complicity. So uh, the the guy who owns the store um, starts to get very agitated because there are two men in his store shopping. Mm. Um, and he, um, it's set up that they're a couple. You can see that they're together. Um, and he is so disgusted by this because he's disgusted by men in a relationship together and he starts to make these very open comments and he's really um, disgraceful um, and uh, defense says nothing. Yeah. He's complicit. He he essentially steps back and says, well, that, you know, you, you get this sense, well, that's your argument. Maybe I agree with it. Maybe I don't, but I'm not going to get involved either way. It's nothing to do with me. I mean, he um, he looks disapproving. He does. But then it's one of these things where it's like, is that just because the guy is kind of crude, it's kind of vulgar, it's kind of unnecessary, mm-hmm. rather than like because... Uh, he disagrees with the content. Yeah. But mm. I, I, um, I, you know, I think in many ways this is a film which is kind of about sort of uh, a person who is struggling to see that their white male privilege is not enough it's not it's not allowing them to succeed in the way that they think it should and Mm -hmm. it's like you know he's like uh he's facing the same um kind of stresses and problems in society that everybody else is facing in fact Mm -hmm. it's the ways he's facing fewer because unlike the korean guy in the shop he doesn't have to deal with racists coming in his shop Mm -hmm. every day yeah but he can't tolerate the fact that things are not going his way and it's and it's like uh, so and it's so I was thinking about a lot of these kind of buzzwords that have come up in recent years, like um, like white privilege and also like toxic masculinity, and thought that this kind of is a film about those themes, but mm. thirty years ago, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like all of this stuff has been simmering th- 
through the kind of political correctness movement and through the kind of social changes that people tried to affect in the 90s it's been there a long time and now it's kind of come back full force in recent years with all of these yeah. po- popular right-wing movements yeah. and, it, and that makes this film in a way difficult viewing i think yeah i would agree i would agree it's not easy to watch but I know, I mean, I think that's what I kind of wanted to say about, like, this sort of sense of, like, you know, defense is kind of, he's the Trump voter, I think. Um, yeah. He's kind of, it is this, and there's a thing in social psychology about, like, perceived progress, so that when your kind of perceived community, which in his case is, like, these kind of, like, uh, lower middle class uh, white guys, like, when your situation is not going well, like, people are getting laid off at work, the economy's going down the toilet and whatever, you can be more um, kind of hostile towards other groups, um, like the Latinos in this film, like the Korean guy, um, mm-hmm. like women who you perceive are bettering their situation. So even though their situation might be worse than yours, you're seeing some mm-hmm. progress in their groups. You know, there's feminism, there's anti-racist campaigns, you know, this yeah. guy's running a shop, he's making some money. You know, you're seeing that these people are doing okay and you're not. And then that kind of adds to your sense of, like, prejudice. And um, mm, That's interesting. Yeah. Mm. But I know that you I th- wanted to talk as well about, um, th- about, about gender or the relationships between men and women in this film. So yeah. can, you, um, can you say a bit about that? Yeah, um, so the the most obvious relationship um, that you have access to is one between Defense and his wife. So you, um, yeah, there's this kind of background of that she's had to put a restraining order in place, that she's separated from him, um, and that he has been emotionally abusive. Um, and And I thought what I found particularly interesting about that relationship was when she calls the police for support, and she has both male and female officers come out to her. Um, everyone's minimising her experience and essentially treating her like a hysterical woman. So this idea that, does it matter if he rings? Well, he's probably not coming here. Well, what has he even done then? Mm. Um, and there's a moment does where... He, she... Does he drink? Has he beaten you? And then it's like, yeah. okay, no? All right, then what's the problem? Then what's your issue? Mm. Yeah. And there's a scene where she's talking to a police officer about that and he, I think it, I know you can correct me if I'm wrong because your memory's often better than mine, um, but the, she's talking to an officer and he says, well, what has he done? Has he beaten you? And she says, no. And and they just stand there silently with each other, her and this officer. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. But it's it's quite, I would say it's quite a long scene of them just standing there because you're looking at her facial expressions to see that she is processing that what she's saying is it not enough that they are not going to protect her that mm. um that he is part of this wider um wider sort of gender issue of um her having to defend her position to a man to explain what's happening and this you know this happens time and again like in there's news stories about women who had restraining orders or they were scared of their partners who end up being killed by their mm. exes and often mm-hmm. the you know the police didn't give them the necessary protection because they didn't think the danger was that great and i don't know if that situation is as bad now 
But I remember reading various stories about this in the mm. past. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a real, that's a genuine problem. It is a genuine problem, and there's also a relationship between the detective that is chasing down defense. Mm. Do you remember his name? No. Me either. Okay. Um, so he's uh, waiting to retire. He's on his last day at work. He's retiring, um, and his wife is waiting at home, and. A sort of parallel to the story of defense trying to get home is this detective trying to get home mm. um, to his wife, who is set up as this very kind of demanding force mm. to whom he bows down all the time. So the idea is that his friends tease him because he's ruled by his wife, that he's changing his job because he's ruled by his wife, that she's hysterical and at home, and that he has to manage her hysteria. Um, or anxiety he he perceives it as that she's very anxious and she's very scared for him yeah at least he does for most of the film yeah Yeah. until near the end where he has this shift where he decides actually he's not going to function that way and he phones she i think she phones him and says you need to be home for dinner Mm. you know i've been calling you you must come home and he says "Uh, i won't i'm not doing that you need to shut up and I'm going to come home and you're going to have my dinner ready for me and you're going to leave the chicken on the skin. Mm. The skin on the chicken because that's what I want. And she she defers to this and it's almost as if she's very impressed that he's finally stood up for himself, that she, you know... It just it plays into all the kind of gender stereotypes that were in place a long time ago. It, you thing, know, that, the thing about that scene is that... Um, that it's played as a triumph, as a kind of cathartic yeah. moment in the film. And yeah. and you're supposed to, I don't know if his wife looks impressed. I remember her as being shocked, but certainly his partner is kind of, his female partner is kind of impressed and pleased that he's finally stood up for himself. Yeah, well, she's smiling and sort yeah. of cheering on the sidelines. But, it's, but I've... Go on. I was just going to say, I, I feel like there was a sense that his wife was impressed too, um, as okay. if, like as if she had been waiting for him to make this stand at some point okay i, I, I don't remember i don't remember it as mm. being that way but maybe maybe so i i think what is kind of um i think that that is a it's a real shame that they kind of have that thread in the film because yeah. um there's a whole thing you know one of the major problems with defense is that is obviously his relationship to his wife and there are scenes in the film where he's threatening her on the phone saying you know it's still legal in some countries to kill your wife if she's unfaithful Mm -hmm. and like implicitly threatening her life and yeah and whatever um while at the same time this film there's that scene that you're talking about there's also a scene earlier in the film where the gangsters are in their car and there's like they've got like this one girl who's in the car with them and she's like talking a lot Mm-hmm. And they're all finding her really irritating. And then yeah. two of them like turn around and shout at her, like, shut up. And then she becomes quiet. And it's like, like the scene with the police officer, these scenes of women being silenced are played for kind of laughs. They're supposed to be yeah. like quite kind of enjoyable. And it's like, they're not funny, but like, at least not to me, but like you can, t- the way that the timing is done in the film, it's mm-hmm. clear that that's a, it's a gag. Yeah. So it's like, it's really kind of um, having your cake and eating it to try to kind of um, present defense's behavior or his kind of 
attitudes towards his wife as problematic at the same time as you're kind of almost openly yeah almost openly promoting this kind of like like misogynistic attitude yeah um so and that's another thing that makes me confused about the politics of this film can i just add as a random thing that i noticed around gender which i found so funny is that um the female police officer who works alongside this detective and they're they're working together to catch defense Hmm. i noticed at some point during the film that any scene she was in she was carrying her handbag oh really Every scene, that woman's carrying a handbag. So there's a, there's a scene where they're about to go into, they're about to go into Defense's wife's home, and she has already skedaddled. She's gone with the kid mm. because she knows that he's coming for her. Yeah. And um, the the they, the two of them, these two detectives, get out of the police car, and she readjusts her handbag on her shoulder. So that she can go into this scene to, you know, with her gun to find out what's happening. And I just remember thinking, what on earth? Why is she carrying a handbag? What is this? That's crazy. I didn't see yeah. that, but yeah. It's okay. so funny. It's terrible. I just mm. felt like I had to throw that in. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm i kind of... I, I think we're kind of getting towards the end of our conversation. Would you agree? Yes. And I'd like to circle back around to this thing about mental health since that's the major theme. Yeah. of our of of the podcast mm-hmm. um i think that one of the sort of takeaways from this film or one of the things to reflect on regarding exactly that is this issue of like when does a person need help mm-hmm. you know like maybe there's what diagnosis could you give this guy like there's no kind of clear um sort of mental disorder maybe he's got these kind of problematic personality traits that we talked about that are causing him problems and they're causing problems for other people around him but is he depressed does he have stress like if you were Mm. a kind if he was good to come in and kind of meet the health service would he get any support honestly probably not and it's like that's what i was thinking yeah so it's like it kind of in that sense it's a really kind of pertinent theme of like how people like this can just fly under the radar and have a life of kind of continual sort of stress and uh and and challenges and you know and it's not to in any way um condone the kind of uh sort of violent theatrics that this character engages in most of these people will never do any of that shit but they'll Mm -hmm. be struggling in in similar ways you know yeah i think that's really true um i think yeah where it's an interesting question isn't it where do you where are the flags that tell you this person's starting to struggle and when when does help when or where does help come from when that happens um and you're right i think a lot of people just will fly under the radar until the until it turns up in the papers that someone has cracked and something has happened and there's an, there's another thing about how men deal with their kind of psychological challenges too that defense is so flat in affect like even mm. when he's extremely angry he won't yeah. show much anger. He'll be yeah. kind of sarcastic and he'll be like simmering and then mm-hmm. he'll act out. And and this is a reason, you know, why a lot of men don't get support for their mental health problems because it only becomes visible as kind of behaviour. Guys mm-hmm. who go out at the weekend and get drunk and beat somebody up or something, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. they, they don't have like a kind of um, 
then they don't have like a mental disorder necessarily. They're not like mentally ill, but they have real kind of emotional and psychological problems that they don't understand necessarily or that they're not prepared to discuss and yeah. that end up being a problem for them and their community, right? Yeah, that's a really fair point, I think. It's, I, I just think it... Yeah, it's a, I feel like perhaps... I mean, it's been a fun film to talk about, for sure. Whether it is, whether it is showing a representation of um, an active mental health problem or one that's maybe it is that it's it's a film that shows um some active mental health problems alongside you know some other pressures that are going to cause issues and that is the truth of a lot of the people that we deal with you know there is complexity there around their lifestyles and their relationships and you know these things don't tend to just appear on their own do they and a broader There's... and a broader social critique as well yeah. of, of a kind of a society that's kind of especially this american society that's kind of based all around uh, um you know this american dream you know you've been promised yeah. this and that from childhood but you've got an economic system that's completely uncaring um, yeah and you're living in these crazy urban environments with just people everywhere mm. and noise all around you. And, you know, so there's this kind of implicit social critique also. Yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. I did find bits of it uncomfortable, um, but I think that's a, that was a good thing. I think that added a kind of um, to the tension. It was definitely of its time um, rather than being a very current film that's, but like you said, it's it's maybe still representative of quite a lot of stuff that's happening now. For me, the great kind of strength of this film is undoubtedly Michael Douglas's performance, which is fantastic and it is. magnetic and and creates all of these ambiguities that we're talking about where you don't know yeah. how to feel about him. Yeah, absolutely, I would agree. Yeah, um, he's really, really impressive. Whereas I'm less impressed by Joel Schumacher as a director... Uh, because I feel that the, as we've been talking about, the politics of this film are just too murky for me. And and at, yeah. and at the end of the film, you know, where he sort of says, I'm the bad guy, how did I become the bad guy? For me, yeah. it's like there's this almost this sense of, there's that's very, I mean, maybe I'm just showing my political colours too much, but for me, it's like, that's really the refrain of the kind of uh, sort of... Um, kind of triggered white male right how did i become the bad guy suddenly yeah. suddenly society's turned against me what yeah, what was yeah. i what was i doing it's like it's sort of yeah so i i feel like it kind of it plays both sides of the fence a bit too much uh in my opinion but mm -hmm. there are but there like but there's so much to discuss as as we've seen and like i say like central performance is fantastic yeah, agreed. It was it was an enjoyable film to talk about. I think I, I liked that. Um, I think as we've talked about it, I've kind of noticed more about it. So that's been fun. I like when that happens. It's maybe a richer tapestry than I had originally thought. So that was good. All right, and um, first season of Thirteen Reasons Why next time. Um, yes. Hopefully in a couple of weeks from now. That's um, the plan. Certainly before the middle of August. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All it's right. Happening. Thanks very much for listening to our podcast. We have been the saddest school disco in history. We are on Twitter as at the saddest disco. If you'd like to follow us. Or comment on anything that we've said.